Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Well, here we are again, back at it for the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ. It is Psalm 107, verse 2, that says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those who have been redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And I don't know about you, but this morning I thank God for the redemptive work that is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. To that end, that is why we gather together. We gather to make sure that Jesus' name gets the glory because Jesus accomplished on the cross what you and I could have never accomplished, which which is satisfying the very wrath of God. What an honor it is for the body to be able to gather even virtually. Man, I'm grateful. I don't know about y'all, but I'm grateful that we are unhindered in being able to bring you the word of God and sit under the authority of scripture. I'm so grateful that we can still do that because of technology. Shout out to everybody that's here, the the tech team, the Uh, worship team for leading us today and uh, Pastor Timmy is here I'm always grateful to see Pastor Timmy such a um, blessing to the body of Christ and the way he serves this church I look I'm hungry and eager to get into the word of God so get to Romans 14 I usually say we got a lot to do in a short amount of time to do it in Uh, not that I don't mean it normally but I really really mean it today we are trying to accomplish an entire chapter Uh, in a few minutes, but I think we can accomplish it because there is some, what I would say is continuity in the text. It kind of flows and preaches itself. Hey, welcome to all of our first-time visitors. Uh, I I know Nina just welcomed you, and and maybe you're getting welcomed in the chat room a little bit right now on Facebook and on YouTube, Uh, but I just want to say welcome to all of our first-time visitors. We're honored that you're hanging out with us today. Those who have been logged on for some time now, we are having our uh, membership class today. I think it is at one o'clock, but please make sure that you email if you uh, don't know anything about it. Email info at, a bro- at Epiphany Brooklyn, uh, which is where we'll be, and, um, and, and make sure that we are connecting. I look forward to virtually meeting some of you and some of you that have been in the chat rooms and I've seen your names. I'm looking forward to connecting. All right, let's get at it. Romans 14. Here's what we're going to do. Normally I read and then pray, uh, read, announce the topic and then pray. Let me let me do this a little bit backwards. Let me announce the topic and then uh, and then I'll pray and then I'll read a little bit. We'll talk a little bit, read a little bit, talk a little bit because it's a long chapter. Uh, I don't want to keep reading. All right, let's uh, let, let, let's uh, start with the topic. Gospel convictions versus personal preferences gospel conviction versus personal preferences. Let's look to the Lord. Uh, Father, we do thank you today, this morning, for your faithfulness to us. Father, I pray for peace this morning for somebody that is struggling with anxiety and struggling with hardship this morning. Would you, would you bring that shalom, that, that sense of peace that may not bring everything together, but changes our disposition while we're in it. Father, as we get into your word, would you bear your full weight on us? Because when you come in the room, when when you bear your weight on us, oh God, we begin to be relieved from all anxiety and all pain and all hurt and all pressure. So Father, comfort us today through your word. Help us see Jesus. Help us to see him. My time would be in vain if Jesus is not front and center. 
thank you, oh God, for this time. We pray that you would use it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Those that are in the room, y'all certainly don't have to be quiet. Y'all can make a little noise as we work through. We are being socially distant and trying to be as responsible as possible, but I'm always excited when there is a little bit of noise as we uh, work through the text. All right, gospel convictions and personal preferences. Uh, All of us have core convictions and core beliefs and personal preferences that I don't know, they make up who we are. They, they drive the very nature. They, they drive your decisions. They drive how it is that you do life and how you interact in relationships and with people. And oftentimes our core beliefs are typically formed and derived from a few places. If you're a believer and you're logged on right now, I, I think your personal preferences and, and your core convictions at, at the core of who you are typically are driven by what you believe in your interpretation of what the scripture says. Whatever you understand about God and what the Bible says about God typically is the primary place for a believer where we draw, where, where we draw all of our personal preferences and our personal convictions. I also believe one of the other places that our core beliefs are derived from is from our upbringing. I don't know how you guys were brought up, but your parents or, or your, the guardians that, that raised you, your grandmother, whoever it was that was in the house, the adult in the house, whatever the preferences they typically were instilled and the core convictions that was instilled in them, they tend to instill them into their children. What was instilled into me, I am now instilling into my children. One of the other places I think our core convictions and our personal preferences typically derive from is from the culture. People can say what they want. You, you can say, nah, the, the culture don't, don't shape me. It don't make who I am. But the reality is I, I don't think we realize how much we, are, uh, cre- uh, how much we are formed based on the culture that is around us. For, for example, you can go to another part of the world and what is acceptable for you uh, here is not acceptable in another part of the world. The, the, the culture that you bring in another part of the world might be acceptable there and it might not be acceptable for you. We see this with food. We see this with a culture. I'll never forget my family and I went to Barcelona and uh, in Barcelona, I don't know if y'all know this, you got to be real careful with the beaches because all of the beaches in Barcelona are, are topless beaches. It, it, it is very normal. It, it is, it is not, it's not culturally normal for me. I mean, I grew up on the Jersey Shore. We went to the beach all the time. And, you know, you, you typically, it, it was not a topless beach. But um, in Barcelona, it was nothing to see grandma with no top on. It was, it, it, it was nothing to see that. Uh, but the reality is all, all of our personal preferences and core convictions are, are really derived from these few places, from the Bible, from your upbringing, and of course, from the culture. I, I usually live by this uh, open hand, closed hand model when it comes to core convictions. In other words, there, there are some things that are core to me that are closed hand. They are non-negotiables. I don't fluctuate on these, but there's some other things that are preferences that I, that I live by, but I don't uh, it's a subscribe that anybody else has to live by those rules because they're not detrimental to your salvation. In other words, the closed hand issues are, are issues like the cross. Yeah, that's a non-negotiable for me. Uh, another closed hand issue for me is the divinity of Christ or the reliability of the very scriptures. 
Another closed hand issue for me is squeezing the toothpaste from the bottom up. Don't do from the middle. Don't twist. Bottom up. Or, or, or the, the person that puts the, the, the toilet paper on the right way, it, it needs to fall, flow outward, not inward. I'm just saying that's a core conviction will put a marriage in straight counseling. These are closed hand convictions for me. But then there's some areas, Josh, that are just like open hand issues. There, there are some areas that I believe are true and right and good and drive who you are. But I wouldn't say that everybody has to live by my personal preferences or how I view things as core convictions. I think baptism is one of them. Uh, I personally believe that Matthew 28 uh, tells us to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I have friends that have deep convictions that you only baptize in Jesus' name. It's, it's one of those areas that I, I really don't care because it's not a hill I'm going to die on. I, I don't think I'm going to stand before God and he's going to say, why didn't you baptize in Jesus' name versus baptize? It's just one of those things that are secondary issues. I think even the baptism going by immersion versus sprinkling. These are things that, if we're not careful, they can divide us. But uh, the reality is that the things that, that are preference, our preferences, that are open hand, really shouldn't be the things that are dividing us. If anything is going to divide us, it should be the things that you hold dear as core convictions versus personal preferences. I think we also get divided over what we eat and what we drink and I have friends that have serious dietary restrictions, and, and I think I have no problem with that. I, the problem is when you then take your secondary conviction and then put it on me as a primary conviction. That that's where things can get a little rough. And honestly, man, I think secondary issues is why we have so many denominations. We're not divided over core issues. I mean, you, you go to a Presbyterian, you go to a, a Southern Baptist, you, you go to Pentecostal. Most of us believe in the core essentials of the faith, which is the cross, which is the divinity of Christ, the reliability of Scripture. We, we believe in those things, but we get seemingly divided over the areas that are secondary, that, that, are, that are not the core of convictions. And so we, are, we arrive at a passage where I think Paul is really going to unpack today and help us to keep the main thing the main thing. And anything that is secondary, he's going to help us to learn how to unite underneath all of our secondary preferences. We all got them. Let, let me help you out today in the chat room. Every single one of us and every one of you that are piped in right now and those that are in this room, all of us have a set of preferences, and you and I would be wise not to allow those secondary preferences to be the main thing. Watch what Paul does here. We're going to go through the whole chapter. So y'all do me a favor. This is while I'm reading scripture, ain't the time to go to the refrigerator or log off and get on social media. Why don't you just hang out for, for a little bit right here? Don't scroll too much. Look at what verse one says. It says, as for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him but not to quarrel over, watch this word, opinions, personal preferences, secondary convictions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person only eats vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. Pay attention to verse number four. Who are you to pass judgment on a servant of another? 
It is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Watch this secondary divide right here. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days are alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. And the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, says we are the Lord's for to this end Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living why do you pass judgment on your brother or will you do or 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 you uh, why do you despise your brother for we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ for it is written as I live says the Lord every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God Last verse for now. So then each of us will give an account uh, to, of himself to God. Lifting back, back up number verse, uh, verse number four. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? In the early church, Paul was simply addressing the issue that was arising at the church at Rome. Con- conversions were booming. I mean, revival was taken. People were getting saved because of the gospel. But I think we often miss who was getting saved. You had Jews getting saved in Rome and and you had non-Jews getting saved in Rome. And when they got saved, God didn't say, all right, you Jews, the Jewish people, won't you go ahead and start a church over here and across town with the Gentiles, go ahead and start a church over there. He didn't do that. He saves both of them. He says, now y'all get in the same church and y'all figure this thing out. Y'all work this thing out. And as a consequence, what began to happen was the Jewish Christians were reluctant to giving up their ceremonial aspects of their Jewish heritage. And so what they were doing was the Jews were trying to put on the non-Jewish conversions. They were trying to put on them their Jewish heritage. They were saying, this is the day to worship. This is the day of the Sabbath. Here is what the dietary restrictions are. Here is what to eat and here is what not to eat. And they were putting them on them as though they were gospel. They they were putting their secondary personal convictions and personal preferences on others as though it was the truth. And the Jews were still adhering to these dietary restrictions and keeping the law, which is fine. The problem is when you then put them on me as salvific, when you then put your personal preferences on me as the standard. And so what Paul is doing this morning is Paul is correcting the behavior that is going on in the church at Rome. He's like, look, some of y'all don't eat pork. Great. Others of y'all eat ribs and, and pork chops. Great. Because neither one of y'all will be uh, 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 stopped from getting into heaven because of what you eat. You make it in because of Jesus, not based on a greasy pork chop. So the Jewish Christians were mad at this point because the non-Jewish Christians were lifting their hands to Jesus while having barbecue sauce on their mouth. And they're going, you can't do that in order to be saved. But Paul's like, no, 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 but you actually can. 
You can eat whatever you want and still be saved. Now, of course, there is wisdom that you have to use based on, on, on health reasons. But for salvation, Paul is like, look, don't put any other restrictions on them. He doesn't only deal with it here. He deals with it in the book of Galatians. He, he, he often deals, he deals with it in Colossians chapter 2. He's often dealing with this idea of not allowing your personal preferences to become central. Not, it wasn't the cross that was dividing them. It was their own secondary issues that were dividing them. And my, my question that, that I was pondering as I was reading verses 1 to 12 is, what are the personal preferences that I have that have caused me to look down on others? And let me ask you that question. What are the personal preferences that you have that have caused you, secondary preferences, that have caused you as a believer to look down on others? What are those areas that are not hell sending, but you allowed them to be part of judgment for that person? I can give you one of them. Drinking is one of them. Let me be careful here because Pastor Timmy's here and I don't want to get in trouble. But, but drinking, let me say it this way, in moderation is one of those areas that we have caused to be salvific for people. In other words, there are some people that believe that you can't drink, and if you drink, then you are going to hell, and that is sinful. In fact, no, no lie, one of the questions I often get is, Pastor, is, is drinking a Bud Light sinful? To which I reply, yes, any light beer is sinful, but I'll, I'll just keep going because, again, Pastor Timmy is here. Let me be as very, very, very clear as possible. There is no scripture that, can sh that you can point me to that says drinking is a sin. Gr getting drunk is. But there, there is no place that you can take. There, there was only a restriction not to drink to one group of people in scripture, and that was the Nazarites. Samson was a Nazarite. He was not allowed to drink any strong drink. And other than that, no one else was restricted. Now, let me be clear. No one else was restricted. That's a secondary issue, a personal preference that some people have. And that's fine. Listen, if you abstain from alcohol, cool, praise God, but do not pass judgment, verse 4, on the one that might have a little sippy sippy. Let me back this thing up with some Bible because I, I feel like if I don't back this up with Bible, y'all going to think I'm crazy this morning. Why is the first miracle that Jesus ever performed turning water into wine. Let, let, let's be clear here. If drinking wine was sinful, you're now telling me that Jesus caused people to sin. The devil is a liar. He not only did he never sin, he never caused anybody to sin. Well, Pastor B, you, you can't really go there because the wine was different in the first century. It wasn't fermented. It, it, it wasn't actually wine. It was really just grape juice. But did you know that according to first century Jewish wedding tradition, Fermented wine was always served at weddings. And so if Jesus would have showed up with some grape juice, the master of the feast would have complained. But instead, if you read uh, John chapter 2, instead of the master of the feast complaining, he drank the wine and said, this wine is better than the previous wine we had. Let me put Bible there in verse number 10 of John chapter 2. He says, this is what the master of the feast says. Everyone serves the good wine first. And when we have drunken freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. Can you imagine drinking some, some wine that Jesus had made? Like take, taking that thing and, and just kind of like swigging and sw like doing that. You know how the people do that. And then they, they smell the notes and stuff. Can you imagine that? Jesus first, 
his first miracle was turning water into wine. It wasn't grape juice. It was fermented wine. You drink too much of Jesus juice, you would have gotten drunk that day. I just want to be as very clear as possible because some people really do adhere to this idea that the, that the drinks were just different. If that is the case, why does Noah plant a vineyard, get sloppy drunk? That is some strong grape juice if it's grape juice. No, it's fermented wine and Jesus does not tell anybody at the wedding party to abstain. He don't look around and say, y'all stop all this drinking. Y'all ran out of wine. Y'all drinking too much. Yeah, I love the way D.L. Hewley said it. He said, y'all go ahead, keep the party going. Let, let me explain something to you. Not only, I just want to go a little deeper here. Not only does Jesus turn water into wine, there are moments where even he partook. I know some of y'all are logging off right now. But let me take you to Bible before you log off. And if you are logging off, make sure you log off and then go find Luke chapter 7. Because in Luke chapter 7, it is very clear that that that. Uh, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the Pharisees are challenging Jesus. And Jesus says back to them where John the Baptist came, neither eating nor drinking. And you said he has a demon. But the son of man comes to you both eating and drinking. I hope that's in your Bibles. And you call him a glutton and a drunk. No, Jesus was never drunk, but it is very clear that he partook. There are also leaders, other leaders in scripture that have partook in drinking wine. Look at the discipleship between Paul and Timothy. Timothy also often had frequent, frequent ailments with his stomach. And so the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, that Paul says, stop drinking the water, drink a little wine for your frequent ailments. That's good discipleship. Yolanda, won't you go ahead and write that into our discipleship? No, don't write that in. I don't want to be reckless this morning. But it's very clear that every now and then, leaders in the, in the New Testament partook of some Pinot Noir. And I know many of you are sitting there going, ah, I don't know, Pastor B, you kind of far right now. Do not pass judgment on another. We don't only do this with alcohol. We do this with so many other things. We do this with Netflix series, girl, why you watching that? I don't know how you let your spirit sit through that because it's funny and, and it's okay because it's not hell sending. Now, again, be careful. I'm, I'm not, I'm, this is not that type of sermon where I'm just saying do you. Like, like you got to be careful. You got to know your limits. There's some stuff that I just personally can't watch. That there's some scenes that I just got to fast forward over. And you might be cool. You might be good. But my point is it's a, it's a personal preference. It is not a primary conviction that I should have. And so I think there are other areas. I think we do this with food. We do this with clothing. My grandmother used to do it with playing cards. My grandmother would be like, what kind of Christians are you playing cards? We, we do this with so many things. We do this with, with dancing and like line dancing at weddings. I'm dead serious. We, we, we do this with wearing makeup. Why you got on makeup? You're not holy. We, we, we do this with jewelry. Why you got so much jewelry on? At the end of the day, none of it is sinful. And so we need to stop holding people to our personal preferences as though they are the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. No, it is your preference. It is your convictions. It is your consciousness. And so these, these matters of consciousness, they really fall within the dom domain of Christian liberties. That There are some freedoms that... God has given you some wiggle room within scripture not to sin, but 
There are some wiggle room in, in Scripture within Christian liberty. But please be careful. Listen to me, every believer on here, make sure that you are not exercising your personal convictions in a way that it is insulting and inflicting injury on another person or causing them to fall into sin. Let me, let me say that backwards. Don't allow your personal preference to cause somebody else to sin. If you are discipling a recovering alcoholic, that may not be the right time to pull out the black girl magic at the next event. There, there are some stuff that you might need to pull back from, even though the Bible says it's a Christian liberty. Even though the Bible says it's okay, even though the Bible says you don't have to abstain, you might have to pull back. And that is exactly what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 14. In Romans chapter 14, he says, look, you got Christian liberties. I get it. But be careful. Be, be careful because your personal con convictions and your personal preferences could cause somebody else to fall. In fact, Paul would say it's not even loving to do that. Look at, look at how he says it in verse 13. He says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on another any longer, meaning they were doing that, but rather decide, watch this, never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ that nothing is unclean in, it, in, in, in and of itself, but it is unclean, watch this, for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if a brother is grieved by what you eat, here it is, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one who, for whom Christ has died. Pay attention to this, verse 16. Do, uh, it says, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of evil. Let me say that again. Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. One more time. Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. The ultimate issue here that Paul is dealing with is not right or wrong. He's dealing with love. What causes your brother to sin? Remember last week, we, that's, he's flowing from what he talked about last week. Love. It is very unloving. To see your Christian liberties and do you in such a way that you cause others around you to be injured in the faith. That you cause slanderous talk about who you are. That you cause them to give in to their convictions in a way that is sinful. Some things in life are Christian liberties and you are well within your right to do them. But you're, you must ask yourself, is it wise to do it? Is this the right atmosphere to do it in? I, some of you may believe that drinking is okay, and, but my question to you is, d does your drinking cause somebody else around you to sin? I would say then you should abstain. No, I don't, I don't say it. Let me, let me, because I have no authority. Paul says, then you should abstain. If anything that is a personal preference causes somebody else to fall, you should fall back on it. There are some, belief, there, there are some atmospheres that, I go in that I could be around other people that are uh, just a little bit more legalistic and they, they really believe that drinking is a sin and they think that you are less than a Christian if you, sin, if, if you drink in, in those atmospheres, I choose to fall back. I mean, I mean, do you need to drink that bad that you have to drink in that atmosphere? I got a stash at home. 
Okay. Y'all don't want the realness this morning. This is also the reason why you got to be careful with posting everything. Listen, I'm not trying to get all up in your social media. Post what you want. But I can tell you, you got to be careful posting things that cause others around you to sin. You got to be careful with your social media spiritual liberties that you post everything. And next thing you know, everybody around you is questioning your faith, questioning their faith and questioning if, if, if your convictions are sinful. Listen, I just want to fall back from that. Grow up. I want to be spiritually mature. I want to be what, what, what Paul tells me this morning. Don't let what you regard as good be evil spoken of. Do not exercise your freedom in such a way that it causes you to damage those around you. Do not encourage a misunderstanding by allowing what you believe is permissible to be the thing that has caused someone else to backslide. <laughs> Say that again. Don't let what you regard as permissible be the thing that allows somebody else in your life to backslide, care for others, love others. Consider that your freedom could be the cause of someone else stumbling. Remember verse 13, let never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Did, did you notice that word never? Never, ever? Never, ever get in a moment where you cause somebody else to, be, to, to stumble or to be in the way of a hindrance, never do it. So if you drink, I don't know why I'm st staying so long on drinking. If, if you drink, drink in atmospheres that everybody around you is good and they won't let you drink too much. I love the way my pastor says it, Dr. Mason says, if you're tipsy, you're drunk. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, like you just want to get, if you're nice, you're drunk. That's how he says it. But I, I'll say it this way. You, you got to be, be really careful of those around you. Some of you literally need to ask those around you, are you good? Like that, that pineapple Ciroc is about to be a part of my life. I just want to make sure you're good before I, before I partake. Like, like that Woodford Reserve is, 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 about to be, is about to be a situation. Are you good before I partake? Like you, you got to ask that Uncle Nearest. Y'all need, no, no, no. That Uncle Nearest, you need to ask people around you, are y'all good? Because I don't want to make no, I'm dead sick. I don't want to make anybody around me fall into sin because I'm exercising secondary convictions. I want, if you're going to be offended, if you're going to be hurt or mad with me, you're going to be mad because I called you out on sin. You're going to be mad because I'm telling you the gospel. You're going to be mad because I'm telling you to forsake your righteousness and lean on the righteousness of Jesus. You're not going to be mad at me because you saw me sipping a drink. This is why I say we need to grow up. So he says here, listen, he says, don't let what you regard as good be evil spoken of. Then in verse 17, he says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Here it is. But of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable. I don't know. That is shorthand for the gospel right there. He says, whoever serves Christ is acceptable. Y'all might have missed verse 17. Where, where he says, the, the, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness. The kingdom of God has nothing to do with secondary principles. It is always the primary when it comes to the kingdom of God. What is that? I'm acceptable because of Christ. 
That's basically what he's saying. I'm acceptable because of the righteousness of Christ. Many of us, we we repent of sin. In reality, we need to repent of our own self-righteousness. We need to repent of doing our own good and thinking that is what makes us acceptable. He says, look, y'all worried about what y'all eating in in this church in Rome. Y'all worried about the Sabbath day and what day you worship and what day you don't worship. Did you know that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath? Do you know when you stand before God, it is not a matter of eating or drinking, but the kingdom is a matter of righteousness. And it is the righteousness of Christ that makes me acceptable. It is not my secondary convictions. It is my faith in Jesus by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Will somebody type that in the chat room for me? Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Those of you who are in this room, if you could just say that with me. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Nothing else. Don't add nothing to it because the moment you add to the gospel, you didn't now just change the gospel. It's obsolete. It's no longer the gospel. It's, it's a whole nother thing. It's a whole nother message. And so Paul says, look, look, let's, let's just do it this way. The kingdom is not a matter of eating or drinking. It's a matter of righteousness. Where do I get my righteousness from? My righteousness comes from God. My righteousness comes from Christ because Christ went on the cross and did not only absorb all of my sin, but he gave me that daggone righteousness. So when it comes to salvation, I'm not secure based on what I drink. I'm secure based on what Jesus drunk. What did he drink? The cup of wrath. Y'all remember when he's in the garden, he's like, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. And here's what I love about Jesus. When he went to the cross and absorbed the wrath of God and drank the cup of wrath, he left nothing for you to drink. He left not a drop for you. We're about to do communion soon. I hope you guys are grabbing your communion. When you do communion, you drink all of it because it represents how Jesus drank all of the wrath of God. And left you nothing. If he left you a drop, you would have to pay for your sin. But here's the security I have in Christ. Here's the freedom I have that when I stand before God, I, I know for a fact that Jesus already absorbed the wrath. So there's nothing else for me. Did you know that you will not experience a drop of God's wrath if you've trusted in Jesus? Can I help you this morning? Can I help that one that's on the fence right now trying to understand the work of Christ? Let me help you understand it this way. There is not a drop of wrath. Believers don't experience the wrath of God. We get disciplined. We get a spanking. But we do not experience God's wrath because Jesus already experienced God's wrath. And if God then pours out his wrath on me as he's already poured it out on Christ, it is double jeopardy. And God is a just judge. He's already satisfied his wrath. Ooh, go to Colossians chapter two real quick. I wasn't, I I mentioned it earlier and I wasn't going to go here, but go with me real quick to Colossians chapter two, because in Colossians chapter two, he kind of deals with this idea of don't let people, you know, look down on the personal preferences, but then he secures us in the cross. Look at what he says in verse 16. He says, therefore, he says, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink. Or regarding a, a festival or new moon or Sabbath. There it is. Food, drink, Sabbath. The same idea. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 
Let no one disqualify you in insisting on asceticism or worship of angels or going into details about visions and puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. Do not hold fast to the head in whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through the joints and ligaments grow. It says, with a growth that is from God. Verse 20, if with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of this world, why as though you were still alive in the world do you submit to its regulations? Do not, do not handle secondary preferences. Do not taste. Do not touch. And so he's like, look, the, 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 the world will tell you that those secondary principles should never, ever be uh, experienced. But then Paul is like, look, don't let people hold you to their personal preferences. And here's how he secures us. Verse 13. And you were dead in the trespasses of your sin and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses by canceling out the record of debt, by canceling out the record of debt. Somebody should be getting excited by canceling. You have no debt because Christ has canceled the record of debt that stood against us with this legal demand. This he set aside by nailing it to the cross. I am accepted because Christ has nailed my sin to the cross. I need somebody in the chat room right now to just throw up an emoji that represents you just expressively worshiping. I, I don't know what emoji that is. And some of you that are not in the chat room, won't you just lift your hands at home because Christ has canceled the record of debt. I am accepted because of Christ, not my personal preferences, not what I eat, not what I drink. I skip past verse 10. I'm back in, in, in Romans chapter 14. I skip past verse 10, but verse 10 says, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. How will you stand before the judgment seat of Christ? Will you stand before the judgment seat of Christ and say, I, I, I didn't drink and I, I, I didn't eat this and I didn't worship on this day? Those are all things that he's going to be like, wait, 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 cut all the small talk. Where do you stand on my son, Jesus Christ? Because that is the only thing that makes us acceptable. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There is no escaping it. There's no way around it. The beauty of the believer is we stand with full assurance. I don't know about you, but there's not an inkling of fear I have. Besides awe in the presence of a great God, there's no fear. I know I'll hear the words well done, not because I did well, but because Christ did well. I won't stand before God based on my own achievements, I'll stand before God based on the achievements that Christ has made. And so God will not look at you on judgment day and say, why did you watch that on Netflix? You can't come in. No, he'll look at you and say, where, where, where do you stand on Jesus? Oh, oh you, you good with him? Come on in. We got some stuff going on. Go ahead. The party's about to get lit in heaven. That, that, that's what I'm expecting when I stand before God, because it is Christ that makes us righteous. Whoever serves Christ, the Bible says in verse 18, is acceptable to God. Yes, you have liberties. Yes, you have freedoms. In fact, Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Like, like sit on that for a second. Christ set you free to be free. For freedom he set you free. Stop taking your secondary preferences and putting it on people as gospel. 
Stop, take, stop taking those things that, like, hold on to them. If it's good for you, do it. If it's, if it's, if it's clean for you, do it. If you see something that's unclean, abstain. Cool, we good. But don't, don't, don't put that on me. Don't put that on your sister. You just sit in that personal preference. There's somebody that's logged on right now that has confused their gospel convictions and personal preferences. There's somebody on right now. There's somebody that grew up and you might have gone to a legalistic church that had you bound up and you don't know how to like, how do I fit in? And, and, and so you, you believe in, in the grace of God and you believe that it is through faith alone, but somewhere along the line, you have moved to legalism. It is your secondary preference that has caused you to move toward your legalistic ways. And I pray that today would be the day that you would walk free. I pray that today would be the day that we would begin to repent of sin and self-righteousness and realize that it is Christ and Christ alone that makes us acceptable. Let's look to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word today. We realize that we will stand before your judgment seat. And for every believer that's on right now, I, I pray that full assurance would just go across the airwaves right now. Everybody that has trusted in the work of Christ, that they will be assured that they are accepted by a holy God because of a holy Christ. Because of a Christ that did in six hours what we could have never done in eternity in hell, which is satisfy the wrath of God. Your wrath was satisfied on the day that Jesus Christ gave up his life. So, Father, may, may that be what drives us. May we not be identified by what we don't eat and what day we worship on. But, Lord, I pray that we would be driven by our love and desire to please you. Father, forgive us. We, some of us have caused others to stumble. Let, let me get personal. Forgive me if I've caused somebody to stumble. Forgive me if I've caused a hindrance to somebody's walk with you. Forgive me if I've caused somebody to take 15 feet steps backwards. Forgive me, oh God. All because I wanted to have a good night. Lord, forgive us. We want to stand blameless. We, we want to look at our relationships around us and say, I did nothing but stir them up to love Jesus. I did not cause them to fall. So, Father, would you, would you help us? Would you guide us? Thank you for the Holy Spirit living in us. Holy Spirit, teach us. Guide us for your glory, for your honor. It's in Christ's name I pray.